I just want to jump in here with a quick note about some changes that are happening. This podcast is now going ad-supported. What that means is I will be releasing select episodes from the hundreds of episodes I have archived now on Patreon and releasing them here. A lot of these were recorded a couple of years ago during 2020 especially. However, I have gone through them and deemed that the parenting information was still really relevant. So just be aware that some of these releases may be out of order chronologically. Also, if you would like to listen to the podcast ad-free, you can still join Patreon. I'll still be releasing podcasts there with a few bonuses. One is that it will be ad-free. One will be that you get the podcast slightly earlier than everybody else. And I'll also be doing a bonus episode every month with a Q&A that's patron specific. So if that's something you'd like to do, you can join for a dollar a month and we'll see you there. Thanks, guys. Hey, I'm Jamie Glowacki and you are listening to Oh Crap, I Love My Toddler, But Holy Fuck. This is a podcast for conscious parents who drop the F-bomb a lot. All right, you guys, I am here with Sophie Ricard in what probably is the most anticipated podcast in all three years that I've been podcasting. (laughs) Uh, We have lots of questions for Sophie. Sophie is a nutritionist. I'll let her tell her backstory in a second. She came to me because a friend of mine took a teen course by some woman, I'm not sure her name, and, and I believe Sophie was one of the experts on that. And definitely my friend Jen shared some of her things and I was like, well, yeah, that makes perfect sense. And so I went to her Instagram and she may be one of the few nutritionists that's like literally talking about gut health, microbiome, and how we can support our kids' brain development. That takes it so far out of the realm of quote unquote normal nutritionists. I come from a very bitter background with nutritionists. So when I was a circus performer, I'm really bottom heavy. My ass goes all day long. So Sophie, um, we also swear on this podcast. (laughs) Love it. um, And so obviously I wanted an aesthetic for my body. I was working with Cirque du Soleil and they flat out told me I could work in Europe because my body aesthetic was well-suited for a European audience, but not an American audience. (laughs) And so I went to a nutritionist and I was fed this just bullshit, like a half a banana. I am vehemently against half of bananas. They come in a whole package. There's one serving. You don't split up a banana. And they had me on, you know, 1200 calories. And we didn't, this was back in the late nineties. We didn't have Fitbits. We had no tracking. Nutrition science was just guesswork at that point. And I kept crying that I was hungry that, and then I started to binge eat and I, I knew she didn't understand the output of an acrobat or an aerialist, you know? And so I ended up just being so pissed off that, and I'm the kind of person, if I write you off, I write off everybody in your industry. (laughs) So I was always bitter and I have worked recently because there, you know, as you know, picky eating is just so on the rise. Um, When I started potty training work, I had never even heard of a feeding clinic. And now I get probably one in three kids who's at a feeding clinic. So it's hitting real interesting levels. So yeah, I'm really excited to have you on. Sophie, why don't you tell us your background and how you got to this place? Well, first of all, thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I mean, now I have a huge amount of pressure because I'm speaking for my industry, but that's fine. Ignore me, ignore me. (laughs) No, I love it. I love it. I love honesty because then we can get to where we really need to be, you know? So my background is I'm from England, as you may be able to hear, although I lived in New York for many, many, many years, about 12 years. So I have a huge US connection. 
I started out actually in education. So I was a teacher for many years, working with kids from the age of three all the way through to 17. It's quite interesting because I actually found in planning lessons for three-year-olds, it was quite similar to the teenagers. There was a lot of, a lot of connection yeah. there. And I loved it. I absolutely love nutri- um, not nutrition. I love that too, but I actually love um, education. And from there, when I moved back to England and had my son, I wanted to find something, you know, that worked better with life as we all do and started working with children who had a lot more trauma going on in their life. Some of them had a lot of educational needs. There was really a lot happening. And so I was working, connecting with parents and really helping the parents support them between that connection between home and school. And I loved it, you know, incredibly hard work because what I was able to support through education was limited. You know, here I was trained in how to set up the room so it's really accessible for kids to learn, the language to speak to kids so that they really understand what's happening, how to guide a child from sort of A to B so that they leave the classroom having been guided to learn something new. And that is all absolutely wonderful. And I love teaching. But what I found, especially working with these higher need children, is there was such a disconnect between their health and their learning. And by health, I speak about this slightly differently. Health, we usually mean we're not sick in bed. You know, we don't have a cold. We don't have flu. But I was really interested in how the well-being of the body connected to learning. So I dove back into school, which was insane with a little kid, and went back to nutrition school. And so now I work really connecting those two fields. I work connecting how the body works to help the mind learn. And to me, what lights me up daily is the fact that thought and learning are physical because we think of them as, you know, this magic that happens. It's like a child learned how to tie their shoes today. That is not something you can hold. That's this sort of magical experience that happened. But what I learned from connecting them and nutrition is really all of the different pathways in the body that are required for that to happen. So it's something that absolutely fascinates me on a day-to-day basis. And my sort of mission in life is to make the connection between nutrition and learning school focus accessible to all parents, because sometimes it's very closed off as a field and it can be very expensive as a field. And I want everyone to know about it, really. That's awesome. And, you know, it's so interesting because nutrition is such a nebulous word. I argue with my aunt all the time who was obsessed with weight. And she was like, I eat really healthy. And I was like, no, you eat really skinny. You don't eat healthy Mm. at all. You eat nonfat crap all day long. That's not healthy. Full of Um, sugar. You know, and then we tend to think of nutrition. Oh, I'm vegan or I'm this or I'm that or I'm, you know, keto or low carb. We tend to define our diet, our way of eating, not like a diet, a weight loss plan or something, but how we eat, we tend to define that as nutrition. And my uh, audience is so used to me talking about this. I talk about food all the time because nutrients, it's about the nutrients and what you're you know, feeding your gut, your brain and, and what, how do you function best? Like we know when you're releasing ketones, your brain's on fire. It's great. You're like focused, you know, whereas carbs might help you sleep better and balance your hormones better. So there's all this stuff. Do you want me to jump right into questions and see where that leads us? And then, you know, if we forget something, you can add it in, or do you have a general yeah, let's jump into questions because what I really love love to do is answer what your listeners have rather than speaking about something I might think they want to know. So yeah, let's okay. dive in. So my listeners generally have kids under the age of five. So mm-hmm. if it's something that you feel like you can't adjust, feel free not to, but obviously you have so much experience. I'm sure you've addressed it in some way, shape or form. And then I would also like to address like the school age kids because 
my friend Jen had taken your class and she came back with some things that I knew, but it was such a good reminder. And I also went to your Instagram and I got the brainstorm Daniel Siegel's book. Yes. It's wonderful. Fucking blew my it's mind. It's quite mind blowing. And so much of the stuff, first of all, I'm doing, but it was nice to get it. But I also had these conversations with my 15 year old son and And I was like, wait, you need to understand where my brain development is as a parent, because I told him, I said, listen, I've never done this before. I've never parented a teen. The only thing I know is I don't want you to have the teen experience I had. So (laughs) I have a 12 year old. So he's suddenly, as of last week, taller than me. Yeah, that's a lot. His feet are huge and he's, yeah, he's really going into those years. So we're all learning all the time. Have his hands gotten bigger than yours? Oh no, I haven't checked. Oh, I'm going to have no, to check. No, you have to check time. because I couldn't <laughs> I did not know this was a marker. And then one day I went to take his hand and it was bigger than mine. And I was like, oh, oh I wish I'd had that last panel. And I'm not <laughs> a person. I'm much happier parenting a teen than a toddler. But I was like, oh, remember that. I um, now with him have the moment where I don't know whether to hug with my arms over his arms or my arms under his arms, Yeah, which yeah. always used to be as a parent, you go over. Yeah, but yeah. now I can go both ways. And so that's quite mind-blowing. A lot of times I stand on a stool. Are you happy you're getting a hug at all? <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's jump into, I thought this was a really good question. So we're a kind of, we eat all the things family. Is there one food that you would recommend adding that promotes gut health and mitochondria health? Is there one thing we could add? The one thing is always tricky. What I would suggest, you know, gut health is such a huge topic right now. It's so in the media, which is amazing because we didn't, you know, we're learning so much about gut health. What we don't know is huge. And I guarantee five years from now, we are going to be addressing this. I don't want to say necessarily differently, but in a much more powerful way than we are now, because we're constantly finding out more about the gut and how much it controls us as humans. It's amazing. So I think that what very often happens with feeding your family is the meals we eat don't necessarily address gut health directly. So I think the two things I would suggest is to understand and add in prebiotic and probiotic foods. That's confusing a lot. So probiotics we hear about a lot because it's sort of the powders you can buy or the pills you can buy. And what probiotics are is they are bacteria that are friendly in your gut. You have in in everyone's gut, I call it, when I talk to kids, it's like a town. So you have this town in your gut and there's a population in the town and hopefully they're a friendly town. But a lot of people's gut and a lot of children who are struggling at school will actually have a town who they've got a lot of angry participants in the town who are arguing a lot. So what probiotics do, and that can come through food or supplements, is that adds in those beneficial bacteria, we call them. So that's the helpful bacteria. It's going to add to the happiness of your town. So with food, that is a little bit tricky with kids because it's not necessarily the easy thing our kids will be eating right away. It's things like kefir, which is like a milk-based drink. Um, That's a really nice place to start because kids will often tolerate it more. It does have a slightly fizzier texture than regular milk, um, but you can always mix it in. There's also- Can I interrupt you though with kefir? Same thing with yogurt, like the unflavored non-sugar kinds, of course, are best, right? But mm-hmm. with kefir, I often see like a strawberry. Would that be acceptable? It's absolutely fine, you know, because the reality is I always say to parents, it's better to get something in than to have them refuse something else. So it's better to get in something that's good, but not incredible than having them just have nothing of this amazing, expensive thing you've bought and they'll have none of it. Oh, I so like I think that. With I like that. 
well, you know, a little bit of something is better than a whole lot of nothing. So with <laughs> kefir, yes, do the flavor. You can flavor it yourself as well. You can throw it in a smoothie with some strawberries and blueberries, whatever your kids really like. And it is a nice way to start introducing different kinds of flavors because it has a bit of a tanginess to it because it is fermented. Mm-hmm. The step before that is, I say yogurt, you say yogurt, but I say yogurt, so I'm going to keep on saying it, is is yogurt with live cultures. So when we think of yogurt in the stores as being great for our gut, most of the ones in the shells are very high in sugar and don't actually have any bacteria in them, which is what we want. So look for it, we'll usually say on the pot with live cultures. And that's when you know it's got that all that goodness in it. And again, you can throw in some fruit, you can whiz it up, make it a lot more kid-friendly because they do tend to come more in those plainer flavors. But there's no reason for kids to suffer through eating probiotic foods. They also go into the more experimental side of kids eating. So there's things like sauerkraut, which is amazing. Pickles, although they would have to be pickled in, um, not in vinegar. So they have to be pickled in, again, it says there's live cultures on there. What else is great with probiotic food? Tempeh is also great. And kids really like it. A lot of parents, myself included, you have that moment of what am I going to cook? Am I going to try something brand new I've never made before? I'm going to make this easy meal that I know everyone likes and I know I can make it any amount of time. It's hard to introduce new things as parents when we're busy. But I would say, you know, on a weekend, do a bit of a Google. And actually, just before I joined this, I was just writing up an Instagram post about some easy probiotic foods to try first. So that will be up. It's a nice way to experiment. So have your kids choose a few of them, maybe two. Say, let's experiment with these. There is no wrong way to do it. So if you give your kids, say you're starting with a kefir and you give them a milk kefir or water kefir, and they say, oh, that's absolutely disgusting. The goal isn't to say, you need to try more. You need to drink more. You need to do this. It is just to say, you know, that's great for trying it. Let's try one of the others on the list. Maybe we'll try this again in a few weeks. If you think about when we as humans experiment with something we don't know, it's the trying that's the important part rather than the getting it all in. So I'd say when it comes to probiotic foods, let it be a game, let it be an experiment and let it be fun for the family. I would say too, like the younger you start, because a lot of the fermented foods come from other cultures and I see plenty of little Chinese babies eating kimchi and, and Korean babies eating kimchi, which is spicy and it's cabbagey. Very um, so spicy. if you, you know, and I, I don't know, my son, when he was like nine months old, loved limes. He loved like sucking on limes. So I wish I'd given him sauerkraut or something, yeah. you know, these more difficult foods. Like you can't like, not that you can't, but it's going to be harder with a two-year-old who's in the throes of picky eating. Oh, let's try sauerkraut. <laughs> <laughs> that would go down well. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Absolutely. And you know, a really nice one to try, especially with the younger kids is miso. You can do a miso noodles in broth. You can add it to a lot of recipes and it just gives that little tanginess, which is a really nice way to introduce flavors that are not traditionally in Western foods as well, which again, I wish I'd done more of too. Yeah. And I think it's expanding the palate, right? It's, it's less, like you said, it's about trying, but it's stretching. I know as a social worker, we'd work with difficult kids. And I was like, you have to introduce things sometimes 15 times before the kid will eat it. And that's exactly it. And our, our tastes do change, you know, our tongue literally regrows its, its taste buds. Mm -hmm. So it is a matter of patience when it comes to probiotic food. You know, that's why supplements are so great as well. You know, I would say for kids over the age of three, and they do have them for younger from 12 months. And that might be something to reach out to a nutritionist and say, you know, let's look at what's going on. Would this be beneficial for my kid? But it is a lot easier than getting in those probiotic foods. 
But the other side of that question is prebiotic. So prebiotic foods are the food that that town of bacteria love to eat. So it's feeding your gut bacteria. These ones are easier. It's things like apples, bananas, onions or garlic, which you can cook with. They can be, they can be cooked. Um, leeks, asparagus. So it's things that are less unusual for us and easier to get in a couple of times a week. And those foods are really going to be helping the beneficial bacteria in the gut to thrive. So one Would thing that also you might be notice- with the cooled carbs with the um, rice and potatoes, like they have, I've been reading about that. They have this prebiotic effect when you cook mm-hmm. them, then cool them and slightly and cool them. them that it feeds that really good bacteria. It does. Absolutely. And it also gives a great amount of fiber, which is really great for the gut as well. And that's something that we forget often is fiber food. So rather than looking at sort of that white bread, going a little bit more brown with pastas and bread, which again, especially, which is great for the younger kids. If you start out with those, they're not going to have a taste for those higher sugar foods because anytime a food is started out brown and now it's white, they've taken out a huge amount of the fiber and it ends up more sugar-based at the end. Okay, cool. So that was the one thing. (laughs) Yeah, that was the one thing. (laughs) You know, I want to add in a couple of things too, just because I've really concentrated on healing my gut. And recently my audience knows this, like last August of 2020, I moved to a little stone cabin in the woods and my stress level went to nothing, nothing. Like I don't deal with traffic. I don't have to deal with any humans nearby. My dog can bark. I have chickens. It's so amazing. And I think that cortisol, like not having stress. So one of the things I feel really strongly is our kids are so overscheduled and that we create this stress, like go, 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 go. And when the pandemic hit and we were in lockdown, so many parents contacted me. Literally one mom said, God, it's almost like she doesn't like being dragged from activity to activity. I was like, yeah, (laughs) like, listen to how you're saying it. You're dragging her. (laughs) So, you know, sleep and those things too are super important, right? And, you know, stress is huge because it's another thing that we, we do disconnect from our physical health because it's something that we feel and we feel it emotionally. We forget what an effect it can has and and stress. I don't know about you, but I can, if I'm on vacation, I can eat whatever food I want and I will not gain weight. Mm -hmm. I mean, I wish I was like that all the time. (laughs) And the reason why is because my stress levels are lower. So that cortisol you were talking about, which is that stress hormone, which It's important. It gets us out of bed in the morning. It wakes us up in the morning. But the way we live our lives, and unfortunately, the way so many of our kids live our lives is from the moment you wake up, it's go, 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 go. And a high level of cortisol throughout the day is going to affect appetite. It's going to affect how we digest our food. Something I say to parents a lot because we see it is the gut-brain connection. Mm-hmm. which is becoming so much more known about now. And mood and behavior. And mood, exactly. And we see that the most, you know, imagine a time in your life as a parent when you've been really nervous, you've been about to take an exam, you've been about to stand up and do some public speaking. You know, I have to talk about poop a lot as a nutritionist. We will I'll go That's one of two ways. So it's a lot about that. And we will go two ways. We will either be the person who runs to the bathroom and it's all coming out, or we'll be the person who it's suddenly not moving and it's all staying in. And that is the gut-brain connection at work. So I like parents to think about those moments they've had in their lives because we realize we can recognize them. And for our kids, it may not look as dramatic because we're not feeling what they're feeling on the inside. We're seeing their outside. But what can happen with that ongoing cortisol and that ongoing stress 
is that they are not digesting as well. When we are stressed, unfortunately, our bodies have not evolved at all with stress. So our bodies only understand they are in great peril. So the way I always describe it is we are either safe or we are running away from a saber-toothed tiger. Mm -hmm. And there is really no in-between. So whenever we have stress, and this can be watching a stressful TV show, this can be being hungry because being hungry puts stress on our body. So that nutritionist who told you half a banana was wrong. This can be <laughs> finishing school at three and knowing that you have to get to music in 10 minutes and there's a rush in between. It can be walking out on the street in a busy city and having it be overwhelming. Stress is so constantly on lives. We can't get rid of all of it. That's fine. But what we have to remember is when our body is under stress, our body thinks it's running away from a saber-toothed tiger and it goes into survival mode. It does not need to digest food to survive. So what it does instead is it sends a huge amount of energy to our muscles so we can run away. It's that jumpiness you sometimes mm -hmm. get. Mm -hmm. Our muscles have all this energy, like run, 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 but we're not running. It makes our pupils dilated so we can look around and see where the tiger is. It diverts energy away from our guts because it doesn't need to be digesting that food. So that's why the food might come out instantly in the bathroom right before that public speaking engagement. So thinking about stress for our kids, especially around meal times or snack times, is really important to have some calm and to take a moment, let them chew, let them swallow, let them have that moment to eat and then move on to the next thing. All right. Since you brought that, that was your last statement. I'm going to jump into a question about dinner and mealtime. Dinner is such a problem. He's tired. He doesn't want to sit to finish a meal. We've tried booster seat with foot rest, small portions, one, two, three magic, being cautious about snacking. Nothing is working. It's a miracle if I can get him to finish a quarter of his meal. He just wants to play, gets frustrated with my husband, gets frustrated if my husband and I talk to each other. And then before bed, he's starving. If I don't give him something, he wakes up at 4 a.m. screaming that he's hungry. So I just can't put him to bed without dinner. Although I have no issues with doing that, just let him cry if he wasn't going to wake me up. So I have addressed this. I'd like to hear your take on this. What I have found consistently through my work, enough that it's a chapter in one of my books, is circadian rhythm. I call it, even though it's not a circadian rhythm, kids eating windows don't usually fall with two working parents coming home from daycare at six o'clock. So I always try to get the nutritious meal. And even if it's whatever, rolled up turkey and cheese, like it doesn't have to be fancy. So parents are really struggling with that. This like, I want to sit down meal. I want to cook, but it's way too late for the child. And then you get this like one more bite, one more bite sliding off the chair. And it's so unpleasant. So I always say, let's feed the kid the nutrition earlier and then make it a little snack or something where he can color at the table. So you don't have that behavior. What's your take on that whole scenario? It's always difficult when you hear a snapshot of what's going on, but it sounds to me like that mealtime isn't necessarily working for the child. And food is really emotional. So we bring a lot to the table and it sounds like he's young. So I would absolutely suggest adding in snacks when he's leaving school, nursery, whatever it is, adding in enough so that he really feels satisfied. It's not necessarily about full, but it's more about satisfied. And then having mealtime be a time to connect. So trying, and this is easier said than done, I know, but trying to not worry too much about what he's actually taking in, the food he's taking in during that meal. You know that he has had a really good snack earlier. You can include, you know, some protein, you can include some fruits and berries are lovely. Tap into all of those nice food groups so that you feel 
reassured if he's not eating a huge amount of the mealtime. And then really focus on the mealtime being about connection between the family. So you're not going to be talking about the food. I tell parents a lot, as a parent, you are in charge and you are in control of the food that goes on the table. Beyond that, the person that has control is the person that's eating the food. So just like um, the dad, just like the sister, they are in control of what they eat. The younger child as well, they have control of what they choose to eat. And in shifting mindset, what happens is that the tension at the dinner table, which sometimes we're so used to, we don't even notice anymore, Mm -hmm. starts to ease. And when that tension starts to ease, you know, we were just talking about cortisol, stress levels ease, which mean hunger is going to go up. It also means that children are going to know that they can trust that time. You know, where we forget because we have control over our own lives. You know, we get to choose. I'm going to have a snack now, even though I shouldn't do because dinner's in an hour. We have control. But little kids don't. They have control over very little in their lives. So when they feel that that dinner time is going to be, there's the table looming towards me. I'm told to sit. I'm told to sit still. I'm told this is what I have to eat. I need to eat enough of it. Then I'm told one more bite. Then I'm told two more bites, even though they said one more bite, then it changed to two. Oh, the, the parents trust. do the whole switch. <laughs> it's, and I do it myself. I've done it myself. Oh, it's, listen it's to hard. us. We're shady. We're shady. <laughs> it comes from a good place. But what it does is it means that our kids do not trust that they know what's going to happen at the table. And so we need to throw all that out the window and just allow them to be in control at the table. Now, it does mean that kids may choose not to eat for a while. And that's fine if you're giving them snacks before and after. I would say don't get rid of the before bedtime snack if you're working on dinner being calm because you don't want to send them to bed hungry. You don't want them to be waking up crying in the night. There's always the I'm hungry because actually I just want a bit more love. And it's difficult to know the difference. But I say when in doubt, always give them a bit of food because it's uncomfortable to be hungry and we don't want our kids to have that through the night. But just focus on that connection at dinner time. you know, play some games listen to some funny music, let dinner be fun for everybody and see how that goes. Okay. There was a lot to unpack in that answer that I want to ask you more questions. So number one, when you say the child controls, because if a little's good, more is better seems to be an American thing. I don't know if that's a thing you experience in England (laughs) as well, but I can see some people running away with that and giving the child whatever they want at dinner. Is that what you're saying? Whatever no, want. because okay. remember the parent is controlling what they put on the table. On the table, okay. So you, so me, that, you guys. <laughs> yeah, So me as a parent, I am fully one hundred percent in control of what I choose to serve at the dinner table. Obviously, I take turns. It's not, you know, this is just sort of an example. I ideally, I'm going to choose nutritious whole foods to put on the table. You know, the more foods that are made from ingredients, the better. Easier said than done when we're working and we're busy, but the more of those, the better. Even if it's just different pieces in different bowls, it doesn't have to be this gourmet meals that you're serving. It could be a bowl of this, a bowl of that, and people just put it together on their plates. That's one of my favorite things. So as a parent, you are fully in control of what goes onto that table. So no, saying kids are in control is not saying they are choosing ice cream and cookies and cake, and that's what's on the table. What it means is when on the table, say you're having spaghetti, you've got some garlic bread, you've got a little salad on the table. They are in control of what they choose to put on their plates if they're serving themselves, or if it's on their plate already, they choose how much of it goes into their bodies because it's their body. Now, one of the things I had, and 
I think maybe it was the last podcast that will come before this one. I mentioned my own journey eating paleo and how it healed the inflammation Mm -hmm. for arthritis. And one of the things I discovered in that zone is that breakfast foods are a fucking scam and so are snacks. And so let's talk because I like that idea of the snacks. So before we get to that is when I work with kids, particularly under the age of three, I tell parents if they can even feed the child earlier and put off dinner. And if they're coming home, the connection time could be wrestling or like literally not even at the table. Because I also feel strongly in those first three years, that's when marriages go to shit. They really do because the mom will be so tired with the baby. The dad maybe worked all day and that's just gender stereotypes, but the baby takes over everything. And pretty soon your marriage is in the crapper and you didn't even see it coming. So I'm like, yeah. child, connect with the child. And then you guys sit down and have a nice dinner that you eat every bite and maybe have a glass of wine and then some sex. And, and everybody's like, what? We can do <laughs> <Ideal>. it. <laughs> so like taking in that whole family, um, but yeah. now these snacks before and after, like say for me, family dinner really became more important as the child went to school and got more peer oriented and we needed mm-hmm. to back in. Now I'm a single mom. I have a 15 year old and I homeschool and I work from home. We don't need a check-in. He eats when he's hungry. I eat when I'm hungry and that works for us. You know what I mean? So I think you can take in your own family dynamic too, but talk about these snacks because snacks don't mean packages of goldfish. They're not 100 calorie packs of cookies. They're good, nutritious food, right? Yeah. And what you said about breakfast as well. If honestly, if I could choose one thing to teach parents, this is my one thing now. If okay, I could choose one, one thing, thing. <laughs> it would be, no, because this changes so much. It would be serve dinner for breakfast mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because Western breakfast foods are crap. If we think about carbohydrates break down into sugars. So, you know, I talk a lot about Lego. I have a son, you know, I talk a lot about Lego. <laughs> also gender stereotype. I should say that's terrible. But I talk a lot about Lego because, you know, if we think about sugar being those individual one piece Lego pieces. Carbohydrates are just a boat that you built out of Lego. So when we're giving our kids those cereals that, you know, toast with jelly, whatever they're having for breakfast, it all breaks down to the same sugar in their bodies. Now, different sugar breaks down differently. So it's going to be faster or slower. You know, it can be better or worse. But primarily breakfast foods is just sugar, even if it doesn't look like sugar. So my favorite thing to tell parents is give them leftovers for breakfast. Number one, we are so busy in the mornings. And rather than them just grabbing cereal, grabbing some milk, you will have something already in the fridge from the night before. Give them that leftover spaghetti. Give them some of the lasagna. It doesn't have to be heated up even. My son this morning had half of the homemade pizza I made him for his lunchbox. Every day he eats half of what's going in his lunchbox for breakfast. So he doesn't eat breakfast food. He doesn't like breakfast food either. So I shouldn't say that. But Mm -hmm. it just means that Number one, kids are a lot more likely to have preferred dinner foods. So especially for those fussy eaters, generally parents can find more dinner foods that their kids will like than breakfast foods. And the other thing is they are also more likely to be higher in nutrition, higher in vegetables, higher in protein. So throw out the breakfast idea and you can have those foods any time of the day and they go for snacks as well. So if you're collecting them from somewhere or it's that, you know, after studying at home time, thinking about the same thing they're going to have for dinner. There is no reason as parents, we need to be making one, two, three, four, five, potentially five different meals a day with the breakfast, the lunch, the afternoon snack, the dinner, the late night snack. Kids can eat the same thing over and over again, just like they can watch the same movie 
over and over and over again. It's absolutely fine. You don't want to give it to them 24 hours a day. So they're sick of it. But if they have a little bit of what you're going to have for dinner as a snack, that's completely fine. I'm a big fan of wraps because you can throw anything in them. You can throw mm-hmm. hummus in them. You can throw some turkey in them and you just roll it up. Good to go. And what I would say, I would have avoid packaged snacks because they're going to just be full of sugar. Even if yeah. they say low sugar, it's still lower than what is the question. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. And I always have said, you know, make little mini meatballs. I've talked about this a lot on the podcast where I, I like, you have to be protein and fat forward because the carbs will naturally fill in the cracks. Like you just yes. have to like, you don't have to focus on carbohydrates at all because childhood is just rot with them. And I've often noticed, you know, we know kids go bonkers at birthday parties and people often say it's the cake. And I'm like, no, it's the pizza. It's the crappy pizza with soda, with cake. Like it's all, you know, a sugar breakdown. Okay. Let's talk about poop. We've got on, we've got both ends here. We've got constipation (laughs) with the parents doing fiber, probiotics, healthy fats. And then we have the flip side. Quite a few people were talking about loose stools, like super duper loose, and they're getting plenty Mm -hmm. of fiber grain, cereals, et cetera. It's a tricky one because nutrition should never be a one size fits all. Mm -hmm. So these kind of questions are probably best suited on more of a one-on-one, you know, sitting down with the nutritionist. Mm -hmm. What I would say, you know, for families who really tried, you know, they've added the fiber, they've added potentially probiotics, you know, all of that. I do think, you know, what we were just talking about, but the stress is often forgotten because we're so focused on what's on the plate that we do forget the environment that it's given in, especially with looser stools. I would say, have a look at their anxiety levels through the day and their stress levels. And with little kids, that can be tricky to see. Oftentimes stress in those younger kids will come out as this burst of energy and it can look almost like that happy manic energy. Mm -hmm. And you know, sometimes it can be great fun, but what their body is actually feeling on the inside is that really high level of stress. And that's really going to interfere with digestion. Just like we were talking about before with the saber-toothed tiger, it's going to be sent straight through the digestive system, straight out the other side. And that's when that loose stool happens. Well, and I would say too, like as a potty trainer, I call probably one in three kids with a food allergy. I have people text me pictures of their poop and Literally, I'll be looking at poop as I'm eating breakfast. (laughs) But, you know, sometimes I see these huge chunks of food and I'm like, okay, this isn't good either to, you know, so sometimes it could be a sensitivity or an allergy. And there's so much environmental contaminants that you could have this sensitivity that's really affecting your gut and not know it. And I think knowing two things, knowing kind of what's normal poop for your child, because there is no one normal. And if a child always has a certain type of poop, you know, very loose isn't ideal. So that's, I'm not sort of talking about those extreme ends of the spectrum, but each person is different. So what can be really tricky around health and medical advice is you'll generally be given one normal and that's what you should try and work towards, but each person, each body is different. So I would say, know your child's poop as weird as it is to say, and be aware of what is normal for them when they are in good health. Because what you can then do is start to notice when it is off. So you'd be looking at things like color, because really you don't want a lighter color. You'd be looking at things like, you know, the texture. I don't know if you've, people have seen the Bristol stool yeah, shop. Yeah, yeah. You can Google it. And it's, you know, all range. in my bedroom. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and, you know, you can go, it's all the numbers. And so you're really looking at ideally somewhere in the middle of that. And I've forgotten where I was going with this. No, it's gone. That's the problem. I always talk about so many things at once that sometimes it just goes. Well, and as a potty um, trainer, I always say, listen, if the child can hold it, 
pass mm-hmm. it comfortably, I'm okay with it. You know, as long yeah. as it's not out of their control in either direction. I remember what it was. I was thinking about, so food in the stool and what that's really going to be telling you is that they are not digesting the food as well as they could be. Right. So it's not necessarily this huge red flag, but it's definitely worth looking into. Ideally, you know, from our mouth all the way down out the other end is this one long tube and, you know, food goes in and there's these different stages it goes through. So thinking about, I think any time that poop isn't looking that ideal dream poop that we all want, think about the tube. So start at the top. Are they chewing enough? Oftentimes kids really rush when they eat. It's being shoveled in. They then want to go and play, especially once they hit like four or five. It is just all going in and then coming out. So are they chewing? Because if the food isn't being chewed effectively, it is going to have more trouble when it gets to the next stage because the pieces are too big. Are they having that calm environment during mealtime so that they feel they can slow down and chew? Once the food is swallowed, are they drinking a huge amount of water with meals? This is a tricky one. And we all do it. We as a culture drink liquids with our meals. And it's not ideal because what it will do is dilute the digestive acids Mm -hmm. in the stomach. So once the food gets the stomach, it's been chewed up, next stage stomach. That's the part where it's broken down. So it comes in ideally as very small chewed up pieces, most of the time as chunks because we're not chewing properly as a culture. And then it needs to become small enough that it can be absorbed. And if the acids, which are incredibly strong acids in the stomach, are diluted by a huge glass of liquid just being drunk, they are not going to be as effective. So think about how much liquids your kid is drinking during meals. And ideally, I mean, my ideal would be kids only drink water or maybe a squeeze of juice, like a squeeze of a fresh fruit in it. Ideally, they're only drinking away from meals. Have liquid on the table because we're used to it, but don't rely on cup after cup after cup alongside a meal. Well, the liquid shouldn't be used to shovel food down. I think that's what people do. They don't chew properly. So it's like the water has to help it go down. Exactly. So ideally you can have a few sips if if you're used to it, or, you know, if you're coughing, you know, you want to have, have it around and that's fine, but yes, don't have it as a part of your meal. And right afterwards, wait an hour. Then if you're thirsty, absolutely drink then. But so that's sort of that second stage of, is it breaking down enough? And we forget, you know, often we're thinking about poop. We're thinking about, you know, from the lower intestines on, that's where it is, it becomes it. But in order for it to get to that and to be formed into that waste, it needs to be broken down enough. So I would really think about those first stages of how eating is happening at the table and the different things you can put into place to support that. That's great. And I kind of wanted to bounce back just, you know, as you were saying, it's not a one fits all approach. And that I think is part of the problem. And now we have social media say like, eat this way, eat that way, eat this way. Just to add on to that, I don't eat any fiber and I have two very healthy poops a day. I eat a lot of animal protein. I'm very animal based and removing fiber from my diet. Now, of course I'm 53 and probably have fucked up my gut immeasurably throughout (laughs) the years, but it helped me. So like, you know, fiber isn't necessarily always the answer. Is it, is it your body better suited for maybe like higher fat or something? I used to be bloated and man, I could fart with the best of them. If there were an (laughs) Olympic sport for farting, I would have won, but like, I don't have any gas anymore. My stomach's really like, not in an aesthetic way, but just not bloated. So it really is noticing too. And I liked it that when you started, you said our definition of health has become not sick. Health should be thriving in all ways, you know? Now let's speak to constipation. She said they're doing fiber, probiotics, healthy fats. 
Again, tricky because I would say it's hard to answer generally. Mm. So I think, again, you know, when it comes to constipation, on the more general, I would love to get really specific on this, but you like we're talking about is very yeah. different for every yeah, child yeah. and every body. I think that people tend to swing one way or the other when it comes to constipation or diarrhea. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it will be back and forth, especially with sort of more IBS type symptoms, mm-hmm. but usually it's one or the other. So if you do have a child who tends to be more of the constipation type of child, you can follow a lot of the same steps. So like we were just talking about looking about the food environment, looking about how they're eating. A lot of that can be the same. I would say look at stress as well, because very often that will be, like I said earlier, it's either I'm going to release it all as a body or I'm going to hold on to it because I can't deal with it right now. I'm just packing it away because I can't think about it. So that's all in there as well. Beyond that, it's a little bit of a tricky one to answer because it is so specific for each person. When I get stressed, I'm like, my body's going to hang on to every ounce of fat. My roots are from the Ukraine. And I think it was, I think my great grandparents are like peasants who would drop babies in the field and keep working. Like I have that system. <laughs> so my body's like, no peasant, hang on to all your weight. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's interesting because very often things that upset our system, a lot of the time will be genetic. So if you know something about yourself and your own body, look at your kids through that same lens, mm-hmm. because it might be that the same foods that are bothering you might bother them as well. And the pathways in the body, which might be under more stress, you know, that's a whole other step to this, mm-hmm. but you don't necessarily need to know sort of the scientific background of it. You can know, you know, carbs really don't work well for me. I feel terrible. I get bloated. Your kids are quite likely to feel the same. So you can start to adjust. I'm not a fan of removing food groups from for kids unless there's a really important need and you have support. But you can look at, you know, if you work really badly with carbs, looking at just boosting protein for the whole family and seeing how that feels for everybody. Yeah, I'm not a fan of removing. And even like, usually when I say like something like carbs, I'm talking about shit carbs. You know, I'm yeah. not talking about like cooled potatoes or, yeah. you know. <laughs> but what you said is important because carbs, carbs are really important. They're a huge food group and they're very necessary. But I don't think any of us particularly have to worry about adding them in because they're there. Yeah. They're all, they're all there anyway. <laughs> they fill in the cracks. Okay. Current popular p- opinion seems to be the idea of let them eat as much of X as they want, as long as you continue to offer other things. What are your thoughts on this? And she goes on to say- it depends what X is. Yeah, <laughs> I, mean, it, like, I don't think that's, again, one. I think that speaks to you're in control of what's on the table. Yeah. What I would potentially say is underneath that, and apologies to the person who said this if I'm very wrong, but what I would say is underneath that is a worry about, are my kids eating enough? Mm-hmm. And- a fear of they're not getting enough of the right nutrients because anytime we want kids to be allowed to just go at it in, as much as they want, there's going to be a worry or, or a fear behind that because why else would there be an extreme there? So I think that it really depends. You know, if X is broccoli, no, maybe I wouldn't say it for anything because too much of anything is probably too much. So I would say for the parent whose kid is allowed to have absolutely anything of something they want, Look at why it's happening and look at how you can find balance. You know, something I talk to my son about all the time is I am not anti-sugar with him because I know if I was, he would go out there and he would find it. You know, he would go to the birthday parties and he would be the kid who has like chipmunk cheeks because they're so stuffed full of all the candy. Mm -hmm. I'm not against anything, but what I do say to him is, okay, you've had quite a lot of that right now. How can you find some balance? And I try 
to have him start figuring it out what that balance looks like. So what makes me a little bit nervous about that question is if what's behind it is a worry that your kid isn't getting enough or it's a control, the message going to the child is I don't have to learn how to find balance myself. And that's a skill you really want to help your guide your children through for when they're older, especially when they become teenagers. Yeah, my head is blowing up. I'm like losing my train of thought too. I'm like, wait, I want to ask you this. Wait, I want to ask you this. <laughs> One of the things I've always thought, and I, I'd like your opinion on this, is like with especially the younger crowd, is to like look at nutrition over a few days, not necessarily. I yeah. know moms are getting super stressed trying to okay, I need to include this and this and this and this and this. And so, you know, that it's okay if they have a peanut butter and jelly. If, <laughs> if they've peanut had- Peanut butter and jelly is you know, great. It's ticking a lot of those boxes, peanut butter and jelly. Not I for every day. perfect food. Per- yeah. Personally. I mean, what would be better? I do have to say peanuts, unfortunately, are not a nut. They have a bad name. They're, they're really tricking doing, yeah. us. So they're not a nut. Not to say they're bad, but if you're looking at nuts- look at the other ones because there's, you know, almond butter, there's lots of all those other ones. Remind me what you said before, because I had something to say about it. And then I went off and I tented about nuts. <laughs> We're both lost now. Uh, oh, yes. About, over, about, like, smoothing over yes. nutrition over a few days. I would say the minimum is a week. Don't torture yourself. You know, oh if we God. are looking at every single day of have we done enough we're just going to fail as parents over and over and over and over again. And so here I am, what day are we? Monday. I'm going to fail today and I'm going to wake up and fail again tomorrow because I don't know about you, but I don't have time to get nutrition perfect every day with my son. I do my best and with myself as well. It goes wrong all the time. It starts becoming this like biohacking world, right? Like you don't also want to like take all the joy out of it. I mean, sometimes there's joy in having cake for dinner. Like yeah. Sometimes that's what you got to do. You know? <laughs> and food should be, it's difficult with nutrition because food is so emotional for all yeah. of us, positive and negative emotions. And we all bring so much. I think I said it earlier, we bring so much to the table when we sit down, we have to continue to enjoy food. And for me, the enjoyment of food and understanding balance is just as important as what is going into our kids. So if we're thinking about a week, And if that's tricky, start thinking about a month, go from there, you know, work your way to a week. Mm -hmm. If you need to think about in January, I managed to get this, this, and this in him. And that's where you are right now. Start there because there is no point trying to make every single day perfect. If making a month better is a challenge. So start there and then work towards the week. Go from there. Something I ask parents to do, which is actually really difficult. I shouldn't say that before asking parents to do it, but it's really difficult, but it's easy to do, but difficult to complete is make a list of your family 15. Now this is 15 meals that everyone enjoys or tolerates because sometimes kids will eat something. It's not their favorite, but that it will go in 15 meals that everyone will eat that are nutritious and ideally made from fresh ingredients. You have Mm -hmm. at home it's really hard to do. So write down the things that you know, and it'll probably be for most families, it's two or three, maybe four, Mm -hmm. and then try and grow it. So it might be if you've got these four meals, then include those once a week, once every two weeks, when you finish this list, you've got two weeks, just over two weeks of meals. So no one feels bored of the same thing. Then you can try something and say to everyone, Hey, do you want me to, to, to cook this again? What do you think? And if people say yes, 
put it in the rotation of that family 15. If they say, you know, I'm not sure, try it again, because we don't want to give them just this one opportunity to say, no way. But it doesn't have to necessarily go on there and work your way. And this is, I'm talking about a few months to do this Mm -hmm. at the minimum. Work your way to that list of 15 meals, stick them on the fridge and your life will be a whole lot easier. Yeah, I love that. I get a lot of questions about that, about meal planning, about making this more doable. But, you know, say you make this like, I don't know, super delicious lasagna. Everybody loves, you made it with the whole grain noodles, there's zucchini in it. I don't know, you got spinach, like everything's perfect. <laughs> the kid loves it. Then you go, you bust an ass two weeks later, make the lasagna. The kid's like, this is disgusting. So yeah. that happens. But one of my tricks, and I'm wondering if you have thoughts on this, is Pascal's default my son, his default meal when he was a toddler was he liked chicken breast with like peas and carrots and a little bit of rice. So mm-hmm. I always had that in the fridge because I always felt like, well, try my whatever, try my, you know, beef liver. <laughs> and if you don't like it, you can, you know, so I'm not cooking another meal. Do you think that's a decent strategy or is that catering to the? It, no, it absolutely is. And I would take it one step further. I think, and I should have said this earlier, to be honest, when I was talking about that you're in control of what goes on the table and your kids are in control of what goes into them. Mm-hmm. always have something on the table you know that they will like. So I'm a big fan of meals being thrown on the table in lots of different bowls, and they do not even have to go together. I'm the, the, I'm the person who will put out the random foods, mm-hmm. and everyone just makes their own meal from it. It doesn't have to be this planned event. You just put it. food out and people like it. So I think that what's really important is, especially if you're looking to grow your kids' variety of food, is to always have something you know they're going to like. And if that's chicken nuggets and fries, then that's chicken nuggets and fries because that's your starting point. And you have to start somewhere. That doesn't mean you're going to end there. That doesn't mean that's your goal. But it's okay to start with where your kid is because like all of us, you know, if you go into, if you go in somewhere to some lecture and you're learning about something and they are starting three weeks down the road, you are not going to have any idea what they're talking about and you're going to leave. And it's the same, that's a weird analogy, but it's the same thing with our kids. If we start somewhere where they're not comfortable, they don't know what the hell that food is. They don't know what it's going to taste like. They don't know what it's going to feel like in their mouths. It's weird. So always have something that they feel safe with. And it takes a little bit of time for the adjustment, but they will be more likely to then try new things. So yeah, but you guys, listen, this is compounded because I can hear, I can hear three clients right now going, forget it. They're only going to eat the chicken nuggets and the fries. But listen to what Sophie said. Remember, we're taking a calm environment. So maybe this isn't dinner. Maybe this is breakfast. Maybe this is if you stay at home with your kid, maybe this is lunch. I also heard something that is so key and why the bento boxes for lunch boxes are so good. Different bowls, different colors, different sizes. Kids love that. Like if they get to pick out of the bowls, they're going to be more likely to just try it because it's in an interesting bowl. And it's little or it's big or it's overflowing. So those all go hand in hand, I feel And for the little kids, give them toothpicks to eat with. They love that. They they don't need to eat with a fork. We do um, ice cube trays with just a bite in every single one. And it was better because they just had to do one bite. And so it was huge. And the other thing is you can have these new foods can just be to play with as well. You know, there are some kids where I'm saying, if nuggets and fries are where your children are at, there are some children who are not even there yet. And where they are is touching that food Mm -hmm. or holding it in their hand or smelling it because that's huge. You know, you're putting it into your body in a different way. Mm -hmm. So play some games with the food, get messy. You know, we think about all this Play-Doh we we always have, but play with foods. It doesn't have to be at the mealtime. I would suggest this is outside of mealtimes 
and let your kids get comfortable with a variety of foods and then give them that control at the table of what they choose. Always, again, having something they feel really safe with. So, you know, food is going to be going in. I know you have an hour and a half and I still, (laughs) I could talk to you for like three hours. Okay. So I think that kind of answered Kat's question, which was basically like food items, preparation ideas. She gets stuck. Like I go to the market and I think nutritionally dense, I think perimeter of the store, but even that's got shitty food sometimes. How do I make a grocery list so that she feels empowered to materialize this information? So I feel like that goes along with don't overthink it. Not every meal has to be okay, you got your daily serving of zinc, magnesium, you have just enough carbs. (laughs) It's impossible. We'll drive ourselves crazy. You know, not even, not even nutritionists are, well, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not thinking like that. I, I can't, I would, I would, I would be like in the corner, just crying. I wouldn't be able to do it. So I think, you know, if you step inside the grocery store, you know, you've got your cart, you're ready to go. You're thinking I'm going to make this work. Which, by the way, is putting a lot of pressure on yourself because it's, again, it's that one event. It's like New Year's Eve. It has to be perfect. You know, there are many more (laughs) of these. So I think instead, just think about variety. Looking at the vegetables, what can you put in the cart that maybe people haven't tried before? You're going to go home, look up a recipe and maybe look it up with your kids if they're slightly older and try something new together. Think about for you just as much as for the kids, how can you enjoy the variety of foods that's there. Ideally, you're not enjoying the variety of packaged foods. You're enjoying the variety of whole foods, but this can be different pasta shapes. It can be different types of rice. Although I don't know about you, I cannot cook black rice for the life of me, but if anyone can, you know, there's different kinds. The fruits and vegetables are easier to think about the variety, but think about how you can just, I'm going to buy Everything I normally buy, everything my kids already eat, and I'm just going to add one thing in today that is new for my family. I'm going to give it a try. What I think is so important and the way I work almost 100% of the time is helping parents take one step at a time. Because if we're looking at the end goal, it is incredibly overwhelming and impossible to do in a day. So just think about one step. Because then you'll look back in a few weeks, you'll be like, oh, wait, I used to be back there three steps before, but now I'm here and I'm comfortable. Now I can take another step. So it's not the ideal, you should do this and you should follow this. But because every family is so different, instead, it's just, it's okay to be who you are right now and just look at taking one step into adding more variety or shifting a little bit from not as many carbs on the plate to a few more vegetables, you know, just taking those small steps. So I'd say, think about that when you're shopping. Yeah. And think about the 15 meals that you set and wrote down, but you just said something that I've never thought of, which is just so brilliant, which is like, especially for those kids who start to get trapped in some picky eating is have pasta, but try the bow tie kind, you know, just getting kids. If you're having potatoes, there's so many different varieties of potatoes. Let's try the purple potatoes. So you're not going so far out of the comfort zone but it's that idea that we're trying new things. So that's really cool. Or maybe you could even have like a chicken tasting and have like grilled and yes. and nuggets and which do you like the best, you know? And the more fun everyone has, because I did, you know, we should be having fun as parents as well. We forget and we're such givers and we're so used to being the ones who are providing all the time. It's so much better when we're having fun at the same time. So I think allow yourself to enjoy food and giving your family food. And it's funny to say, but that's a really difficult thing to do because we're so busy and there's bedtimes and there's all of this coming up. But if that means you're cooking simpler things or you're not cooking at all, you're serving cold foods, 
that's completely fine because nutrition is all over the place. Well, and I find that especially this is all ramped up since the beginning of the pandemic, but in a very anxiety filled world, we're so tribal right now. We're so polarized, no matter what camp you're in, you're polarized. And I find parents want the absolute prescription. Tell me exactly what I need. I'm going to do it. And I'm like, yeah, but we got to like fuzz it out a little bit, you know? What that reminds me of is diets, you know, as adults, we want to be told how to lose weight and how to lose it quickly. And I don't know about you, but I don't know anyone that's ever worked for when you follow someone else's plan. Like, what is it? This is how you're going to lose 10 pounds in 10 days, you know, all the ads. But yeah. it's the same thing for feeding our family. There, we can't follow someone else's method of what works for our family. Right. And it actually isn't easier to do that. What's easier is to just take one step only towards having more variety and more nutrients on the table. All right. Dairy intolerance. What else can you do besides vitamins for calcium? Sesame seeds are fantastic for calcium. And the great thing is they don't have a taste. You can sprinkle them on everything. Yeah. And they're not it's green, funny about so <laughs> They're not green. Yeah. And they look like a cob. They're brown. And like, they're a great one because one of the things I really like to tell families is when you're introducing new varieties of foods, you know, I was talking earlier about having all the different foods on the table and all the different bowls. I always say, you know, put some things on the table that can just be sprinkled on. I call them boosting your meals. Mm -hmm. Sesame seeds are one of my favorites for that. It can be fresh foods as well. It it can be all manner of things, um, herbs, which you say herbs, but again, I'm going to say herbs with an H. Um, You do you. It can be be all of those different things, but seeds are fantastic because they're small, they're fun. And so I would say if your child has a dairy intolerance, look into adding a bowl of sesame seeds to the table. And you can then model how you sprinkle them on things. It gives a nice little crunch. They're great on eggs. They're fantastic on really all foods. It's like and like a savory a nice... sprinkle. Like yeah, savory. exactly. There's I happen to know color. this mama and her child has some very interesting allergies. I was going to add in, I just learned this. I have chickens now and you can take eggshells. If you know the, the source of the chickens, you can dry them out in the oven and grind them into a dust wow. and you can add them to smoothies and everything. And cause it's the whole, egg. I did not know that super calcium. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So I actually have some in the oven right now. <laughs> I might try that. I love that. My neighbor has chickens. So I might go around there and be like, just give me the shells. The other thing, you know, there's also with, you know, leafy greens, broccoli, things like that. You know, those are going to be harder to get into kids, but those are also really nice. And I would say if you have a child who doesn't eat by choice or by necessity, doesn't eat a food group, smoothies are a really nice thing to add in because you can specifically add in what they need for the day in this easy, you know, add the fruit they like, make it. You can add a big dollop of peanut butter in there. And it's a nice way to know that, okay, I've checked that off. I've gotten in there, whatever it might be for the day. Our four-year-old girl's hair is breaking off. Not a little, but like a lot. Do you think that's nutritional or is that too big? It could be. It could be very, I mean, you know, there's different things that could be going on. I would suggest it's probably worth, I would assume they'd already talked to their doctor. I would, if they haven't, I would say talk to the doctor because it's always worth just checking just in case. Mm -hmm. I would suggest if it was me, I would go and see nutritionist and ask for, um, they can do some fantastic panels. So they're doing testing with urine. So it doesn't have to be blood, doesn't have to be needles. And it's a really nice way to look at the nutrition going on in the body and how much is actually getting taken in by the body because it's looking at then what is in the waste. So I would suggest going to a nutritionist, potentially looking at some tests about um, nutritional values. 
I'm always nervous about hair testing, to be honest. Many nutritionists are huge fans of them. So this is just me personally, but I think that it's great if you're looking at heavy metals, but for nutrients, it isn't my favorite. So I would say ideally they're looking at urine testing. And I think that's just a nice way to go. It gives a lot of reassurance as well. But, you know, hair can be, hair is very connected to stress. Hair is connected to thyroid health. So it's worth looking into what's going on. Okay. How do you gain weight as an adult or a child? What's a safe, what are the best foods for gaining weight? I would say don't focus only on adding in a couple of foods. Just like with losing weight, you run the risk of losing variety. And as you could probably hear by now, I'm a huge fan of variety. So I would say the first step is ensure that they are eating regularly through the day. So having a real breakfast, you know, ideally throw some eggs in there, a couple of eggs, maybe not every day. You don't want to have to be, you know, routine. So it takes the fun out of it, but throw in, you know, a really nice breakfast, make sure there's protein in there. Again, ideally a snack before lunch. So putting something in there, some healthy fats and some protein could be half an avocado. It's a fantastic snack making sure they're having lunch, making sure they're having a snack after school, if they're at school, and then a dinner. Seeing if they're hungry when they go to bed. Is it that they don't have an appetite? Because you might want to look into why. That could be an all range of things. Again, stress is one to look at, but lower appetite because appetite is controlled by hormones. So there's two hormones, ghrelin and leptin which are very ignored in the family of hormones. You know, not many people know about them and they control our hunger. So they work like a seesaw. I think you call it a seesaw that kids yeah. go on and Tita one goes tata. up and one goes seesaw. down. Yeah. What those? <laughs> they, they work like those. So when one goes up and we get hungry, the other one goes down. When one goes up and we get full, the other one goes down. And any hormones in our body are connected. And it's sort of this domino effect from the other hormones. It's one of the reasons stress affects appetite, because if our stress hormones are so high, it's going to really have an effect on those um, appetite and um, fullness hormones as well. But there's a lot that can be underlying there. So I would look at making sure they're eating regularly through the day. I would look at making sure they're having protein and healthy fats regularly through the day. Some lovely nuts, you know, like granolas and trail mixes. They're really nice and they're very portable. And then look at their appetite. Are they hungry? Are they not hungry? And start to unpick a little bit about why. There is also, you know, my son included a time when kids, you know, a lot of kids will eat a huge amount of food and then they go up, they grow and they really stretch out. It always reminds me of that character in um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, you know, when it gets all stretched out. Oh, I see this all the time, especially boys. They get like almost chunky and then they- Yeah. And then suddenly they're long. So look at what's normal for them as well, because like I was talking about earlier, you know, what's normal for each body. But if this is an ongoing issue of real difficulty gaining weight, and if they're not hungry or if they're very hungry, but it doesn't seem to be making a difference, it's always worth just getting some reassurance and getting it checked out. Yeah. And I also think like, I mean, I've been around a few blocks and I, there's some people who just don't like food. Like they're like, nah, my cousin, she's like, eh, food is so functional for me. She's just not into food. And I'm like, could you just give me like even a tiny bit of that? Cause <laughs> I think too, one of the things that happens and because I have the luxury of homeschooling, I can really see this is sometimes I think we get trapped into the times we have to eat. My son is a natural faster. Like he won't eat mm. till maybe one or two, but then there's three lunches, you know, it's like back to back to back, but he just really doesn't have that appetite. So sometimes I think we get trapped into those school work. Yeah. You got to eat, you got to eat. And breakfast is a tricky one. You know, I actually 
I'm really hungry in the mornings. And my son is the same. He could happily not eat until two. Mm-hmm. If he's at school, it's a bit different because he's active. That's just how he is. It's not ideal. And I think that I'm a huge believer in instinct, especially when it comes to parenting, a huge believer in it. But ideally, we are all eating at breakfast. And the reason why is when we wake up, our cortisol levels increase. And that's what wakes us up. It's what gets out of bed in the morning. It's very important. Our melatonin levels, which is our sleep hormone, decrease. So again, it's that seesaw. If we are then running on fumes because we're running on the meal we ate the night before, and it could have been six o'clock, seven o'clock, it's not necessarily right before we went to sleep. We are running on empty. And so what we're going to be doing at that point is our body's going to be increasing our stress levels because our stress keeps us going. So if it has nothing to run on with nutrition, it's going to run on stress. And it becomes sort of this up and down through the day. So the stress levels are high. You then might not be hungry or you might be craving foods. You mentioned right in the beginning about you used to not eat and then be suddenly craving foods. Your body at that point is saying, I'm starving. I'm in starvation mode. Give me food. And I guarantee we do not choose healthy foods at that point because our body is saying, give us sugar. It just wants energy. Right, right, So what is tricky about kids and humans who aren't eating breakfast is you're setting up your body to be very up and down through the day and not be as balanced as we'd like. And when we're thinking about nutrition for our brain, we really want to have stability through the day. That's interesting because I've never found a, I've never found a detriment to it. Like when he, he went to kindergarten, I'm oh, sorry, he went to kindergarten and half of first grade and he would eat the meals, you know, then, but since we've homeschooled, but he also sleeps later. So he has a different yeah. kind of cycle, you know? Yeah. I think we covered everybody's questions in roundabout ways. I thought this was a good one to leave off on. How do you get through all the advice? What is best for your child? Like, because keeping a good relationship with food, keeping good nutrition, but there's so much advice out there. Yeah. And this is one of the things, honestly, whenever I'm planning. Somebody on Instagram is an advice. It's just somebody's experience. You know, you want to look for credentials. You want to look for... I don't know. It's (laughs) yeah, there is, you know, internet's amazing, but it also means that we are bombarded with information constantly. And something that comes up probably the most from parents I work with is I do not know where to start. I'm so overwhelmed with all the information out there. I don't know what to trust. I don't know what's right. I don't even know what's right generally, let alone for my own child. For me, that's huge because that's what I think about whenever I'm planning programs. I would say find a source that feels right for you because there's a lot of people out there sharing information in different ways. Something which I wish happened less is I wish the conversation around nutrition was less about sickness. Of course it's important, but I wish the conversation was more about day-to-day, I don't want to say health because then I'm bringing it back, but day-to-day well-being. Don't love the word, but it's the best I've got for now because You know, what I focus on is nutrition for the brain and nutrition for learning, nutrition for, you know, all the things our kids need when they go to school. It's that working memory. It's that retaining information, recalling information. It's being able to use the information creatively. All of that is nothing to do with sickness. It's not really to do with what we think about as health either, because it's not connected at all to sickness. But what I wish is there was more conversation around how to fuel our body so that we can be really the best we can be. I mean, that's just my personal little flag. I always wave, but I would say when you're looking for advice, please do make sure that it is from a trusted source. You know, 
it's easy to watch a YouTube video and the more it tends to push towards one view, I would say trust it the least because no one should be saying you should only do this because there's no one way for everyone. And what often happens is there'll be a new fad that everyone has to do, you know, like superfoods. This is the food you need to be eating right now. This is the best food for your kid. No, there is no one way and there is no one perfect way of doing things. So look for someone who has a balanced view and who's going to be speaking to you in a way that works for your family. It can be easier said than done, but I think once you find it, it's worth then following and seeing how that can connect to changes you can make for your family. Yeah. And I think it is like, we, we should just make up a word because health, I'm in full agreement. One of the things that makes me so sad is that we've come to accept certain conditions is just normal. Like, yeah. oh, well, I have this awful skin condition. My joints hurt every day. Oh, well, I'm just getting old. And I'm like, yeah. mm, you could fix that with nutrition in a lot of cases. So, but also like, is your child learning? Are they doing well in school? Are they happy? Are you happy? You know, just like- And how's their mood? Yeah. Yeah. I think we're finally getting out of skinny is healthy. So hopefully we can- Yeah. Well, (laughs) you you know, know, if I could change one word, it would be fat. Bodies being larger Mm -hmm. is called fat. And then the food, like an avocado is called fat. They should not have the same word. They are completely different things. And what it's doing is that when people eat a fat, so they eat an avocado or they eat, you know, French fries and mayonnaise, which is- the best together. But, you know, say they're eating those fats, they are then connecting that is going to make me fat, but it's sugar that is making us fat. And it's the imbalance in our bodies with chemicals that's making us fat. And yes, there are better fats than others. And yes, you should eat an avocado rather than the French fries dipped in mayonnaise, but you know, you can enjoy it all or something. (laughs) (laughs) There's a place for all of it. Exactly. Thank you so much, Sophie. This was so great. I'm sure I'll, I'll probably ask if you can come on again. <laughs> I'd love to. I would absolutely love to. I do. I would love to have you on again because I feel like we need to talk about supplements and minerals and also like what's optimum nutrition for learning for brain development. Yeah. But I know that you can find you at Feed Me Focus on Instagram and you have great information there. And so you guys check that out because she has a lot of super easy to read graphics, ideas for snacks, book suggestions. I love that book suggestion. You're my new obsession. And what else? Where else can they find you? So I'm on Facebook, same name. I'm everywhere. Feed me focused. Okay. So it's all the same name all over the place. Yeah. Feedmefocus.com. Okay, great. And then do you do remote consultations? Yeah. I work with families all over the world. I have been until now working primarily one-to-one, but with my waving my flag about wanting all parents to really understand how nutrition is life. You know, nutrition is every day. I'm switching a lot more into group programs. I really want to make nutrition accessible to everyone and more affordable. So I'm actually right now, it's really exciting. I'm developing a group program, which is going to start in April and then run again in September which is going to be all the steps you can take to make sure that your child is getting the nutrition need they need for their brain for learning. Let us know when that group comes out. Maybe we could do a special oh crap group. That's just, oh, yes. just my people because I, <laughs> I want in on that. I, and there's going to be a lot in there for picky eaters as well, for fussy eating. 25th of April is going to start. So it will open up before then. But What I really want to do is I just want parents to feel that this information is accessible to everyone. That's, that's my goal. So that's why I think group programs are a really nice way to go. And parents also can learn so much from each other 
and support each other as we know. No, that's fantastic. Thank you. Expect a deluge because I'm going to be sending everybody a web. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, out of my wheelhouse, go see Sophie. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, Sophie, so much. You have a great day. Thank you so much. Bye. Okay. Bye, everyone. Just a reminder, if you need additional resources, I have Oh Crap Potty Training. I have Oh crap, I have a toddler. Those books are available everywhere you want to find a book. <laughs> you can also go to my website, jamieglowacki.com, where you can book private sessions with me, buy any of my courses. Those are really geared towards potty training help. And also I'm on Instagram. I'm not on Facebook anymore and I'm not on Twitter. I'm on Instagram, jamie.glowacki, and I do a lot of lives and uh, usually posting a lot of good information. So those are extra resources for you. And as always, rock on. Have an awesome day.